to Dr. Chapner for giving me the opportunity to present my work here today. And it's always an honor to attend the Chapner Colloquium, which I've been attending for eight years now. So today I'm going to uh, switch gears from the previous talk and talk more about targeting Swishniff complex. And thanks to Mo for introducing epigenetics earlier. Uh, disclosures. And uh, the cancer I'm going to talk to you more about is actually squamous cell carcinoma. and uh, of the head and neck. Many years ago, the, uh, multiple papers came out uh, in Science and Nature and talking about head and neck squamous cell carcinoma. And when you look at the mutation spectrum in head and neck cancers, there are a large number of genes that are mutated, and most of them ended up being a tumor suppressor genes. But when you look at uh, lung, lung squamous or lung adenocarcinoma, actually lung adenocarcinoma, you see a lot of activating mutations, including KRAS and AGFR. But when you go back to the squamous cell uh, carcinoma of the head and neck or the lung squamous cell, all you see is uh, overexpression of P63 in a large number of cases. But this is not an actionable target. It's a, a P53 family transcription factor. And you do not see any other gene that could be targeted, actually. However, when you look at the biology or the uh, for the contribution of P63 in squamous cell carcinoma, Matt Rams, a former postdoc in Lee Fallison's lab, has elegantly shown that in a K14 ER-based mouse model, when you excise P63 in the, with response to tamoxifen, you excise P63, and the tumors rapidly regress. And this is in 12 days, making, uh, making a key point that P63 is a critical factor for tumor progression in squamous cell carcinoma. And that was the only target known for a large number of years, actually. And then the first thing, OK, there's all uh, mood, but actually, so one of the things that came up during the whole P63 interactome was HDAC12 complex as a major P63 interactome partner, as well as a gene called Actyl6A, along with RALBL12, which, which was originally known to displace a histone variant in the, uh, on the nucleosomes. And, HDAC12 was uh, also known to play an important role in epithelial development. And I joined Leaf's lab, and I was more an epigenetics person, and I wanted to see if there is an interacting partner of P63, which also enriches when you do a chip seek, actually, than just an IP. And when we did a chip seek, and the uh, system was actually developed by Shirley Liu at uh, uh, Public Health, or Dana-Farber, and when we use her system analysis, Surprisingly, what we found was this was actually five years ago when epigenetic chip sequencing was not done so extensively for Swishniff at least. But the, the limited amount of data actually still got caught in this analysis, and we saw SMARC-C1, SMARC-4, and SMARC-B1, all three components of a chromatin remodeling complex called Swishniff. And I was like excited. I did my PhD on Swishniff, and I came to Leaf's lab, and I was thinking, oh, I'll, go, I'll be going to work on P63, and there's no epigenetics. And then I saw this Swishniff subunits. I was like super excited. And then the first thing we saw was Actyl6 actually, it interacts with P63 and also migrates in the same fraction when you do a glycerol gradient, indicating that probably it forms a complex with P63. And what is uh, Swishniff? Swishniff actually is a, a large complex. Usually you have 17 to 20 subunits of Swishniff uh, in a Swishniff complex. And based on the complex composition, uh, co uh, subunit composition, you have a different kind of complex called the PBAF or the BAF. PBAF is a 
PBRM containing polybroma BRG1 associated factor complex. And you always have a BRG1 or BRM, but you never have both these subunits in the same complex. That's what distinguishes the Swishnev complex as BRG1 complex or BRM complex. And if you do not have this PBRM complex, this is actually, PBRM is one of the second most mutated in renal cell carcinoma. And if you do not have PBRM, then the complex enriches for a BAF complex with added 1A, B, or BRD9. And the way it functions is, uh, but you have a chromatin in a highly condensed form, and you do not have transcription of genes. And in an ATP-dependent manner, Swishnif unwinds the chromatin, either by sliding or eviction of uh, nucleosomes, and helps in the recruitment of transcription factors. And you have transcription of genes. And these transcription of genes function in many ways, either proliferation, cell migration, or many other genes, and most recently, the immune response as well. So as I said, it's a multi-subunit complex, a large number of subunits, and it's very difficult to keep track of which subunit is mutated in which cancer. And sometimes you have multiple subunits mutated in the same cancer, actually. And if you look at this, almost all the subunits are mutated in all kinds of cancer. Either you take the BAF complex or the PBAF complex. So it's when you put this all together, it's mutated in approximately 20% of human cancers, making it the most mutated epigenetic factor. So, all we talk about is mutations, and Seagal at that point, Seagal from Dana-Farber showed that Swishnif also undergoes fusions when she was in Jerry Crabtree's lab. And when I looked at the P63 interacting partners, either from the immunoprecipitation or the cystrome analysis of Gypsy, the actyl 6A caught my attention. Usually you will ignore it because it's called actin-like 6A. I'm like, Actin, it's an actin protein, but it's also called BAF53 or BRG1 associated factor 53A. And when I looked at the CBIO portal, which was just developed around that time from MSK, the factor was actually highly amplified. I'm like, wow, you always talk about mutations, mutations, mutations. You never see amplifications or you don't talk about amplification of epigenetic factors. Well studied was the MLL fusion in, uh, by Alishi Latifert, but no one talked about amplifications. and it, I had to convince Leaf to tell him that he should invest at least for the microarray to make sure it functions as an oncogene. And what we see is actually, more interestingly, the head and neck and the lung squamous tumors are the tumors where it's highly amplified than any other tumor. So when we did an immunodepletion experiment to see if you deplete actyl-6A from the whole uh, lysate, do you lose the Swishnif complex subunit? Because actyl-6 is also a subunit of multiple other complexes. So what we saw was, when you deplete actyl-6A, you see most of the Swishnif subunits also got depleted, indicating that they're all part of a complex, and when you remove actyl-6A, the whole complex is getting away. So indicating that actually actyl-6A is a part of Swishnif complex. So right around that time, Paul Kavari at Stanford has shown that in a normal skin, using a mouse model, he has shown that you do not have actyl-6A and Swishnif will regulate KLF4 and other differentiation genes, and you have keratinocytes. But in the progenitor state, you have high actyl-6A, mechanism unknown even now. You inhibit Swishnif complex, and then you have uh, inhibition of KLF4 and all the differentiation genes. So it fit into the hypothesis. Probably head and neck cancer, you have a lot of uh, CD44 stem cells or the regenerative kind of cells. And I was thinking maybe actyl-6A is highly expressed in the tumors. 
And when we looked at the tumors in the normal skin, as I said, actyl 6 is not at all present. Here is the basal layer, and here is the suprabasal and other layers of the skin. However, you see P63 highly expressed all through the normal skin, and it's highly expressed in the tumors as known for almost 15 years now. And actyl 6 on the other hand, is only present in the suprabasal layers. And when you look at the tumor, it's overexpressed in almost all the cells. And most importantly, we wanted to look at the prognostic value. So when we looked at the TCGA data, which has 530 patients, 500, yeah, 530 patients, patients with high levels of factal 6A, and when you compare with patients with low level of factal 6A, they have poor prognostic value. This was very important because people have been using P63, SOX2, PIC3C, FGFR1 as a prognostic factor for squamous cell carcinoma of head and neck or lung. But when you look at actyl 6A prognostic value, it was more significant than any of those factors known so far, which could be used as a clinical test, actually. So we, we then uh, tried to do a xenographic ex experiment. And when we knocked on actyl 6A, the, tumors, uh, the size of the tumors is less. And it's almost the same number of uh, days as P63 accession, like 12 days. And when we look at KS67 staining, the cells have uh, low proliferative capacity. But more importantly, what we see is an actually increased cytosolic K13 staining. So that means you have a decrease in the proliferative capacity of the cells when you lose actyl 6A or BAF53A. But the more important thing was increase in their differentiation. So the cells started differentiating, and you have tons of keratin staining. And since this was the first report of actyl 6A, Oncogen, we wanted to see if it promotes a transformation of normal mouse keratinocytes. So in a rash background, many years ago, Elia Mills and Wendy Weinberg have shown that P63 could transform uh, keratinocytes in a rash background. And we use that as a positive control and overexpressed actyl 6A. And you could see that when you overexpress actyl 6A in a rash background, you actually transform the keratinocytes and they form tumors. The most interesting thing actually for me was my second eye is actually hippopathway or YAP. And then when we look at the mechanism, how actyl 6A works, we see a, a strong nuclear localization of YAP, which is a hippopathway effector. And it, it is actually stronger than even P63. The way actyl 6A works is, uh, long story short, it represses many of the repressors of YAP including WWC1 or Kibra, GPRC5A, well-known tumor suppressor in lung cancer, RAS-SFI, RAC1. So normally when you have high WWC1, it phosphorylates in a series of mechanisms to miss LATs, and then you have YAP phosphorylator, and it's retained in the cytoplasm. And when you inhibit this complex, you have strong nuclear YAP, which is important for proliferation or tumorogenesis. So uh, through interaction with P63, still we consider it part of SWISHNIF, how we, uh, we do not know how it functions yet. It, it transcriptionally regulates both YAP directly or the repressors of YAP to retain YAP in the cytoplasm uh, nucleus, and it promotes regenerative proliferation and terminal differentiation. So the next big question was, can we, we, we set out trying to see if we can identify targets that could be uh, actionable clinically. P63, we cannot. Actyl 6A, no way. Swishnif, you in the last one year, you see degraders of SMARCA4 or SMARCA2, but back then, uh, two years ago, not really long ago, you did not see any inhibitors of Actyl 6A. So then I was trying to see uh, if there would be any synthetic lethality component for Actyl 6A. I looked at the GSA. That's not the right way of looking at it. But since I had the GSA uh, analysis done, 
One of two of the pathways that enrich your marker four targets as down when you have high actal or K27 trimethylation as high when you have high actal 6A. K27 trimethylation is uh, mediated by EZH2 or the polycom complex. Our SMARCOFOR is none other than BRG1, or the main catalytic subunit of Swishnev complex. And uh, many years ago, Charlie Roberts, when he was at Denafarber, has shown that Swishnev uh, works antagonistically with polycom complex, PRC2, in rhabdoid tumors. So uh, there are multiple papers before Charlie as well, which showed that Swishnev antagonizes polycom, but Charlie showed in uh, rhabdoid tumors. The way it functions is in rhabdoid tumors, you have any one or one of the subunit mutated in almost all of the rhabdoid tumors, and the uh, complex is not functional, and it loses the ability to inhibit the polycom complex, which then activates the stem cell programs and leads to oncogenic transformation. So what polycom comp uh, what does polycom repressor complex do? It's a PRC1, PRC2 complex together. PRC2 methylates histones uh, uh, H3K27 and PRC1 ubiquitinates uh, H2AK1119. It's, there's always a debate whether PRC2 comes first or PRC1 comes first, but end of the day, you have both of these actually uh, at the chromatin loci and they maintain a repressive chromatin. And Paul Covery helped in one more way actually. He said when you have high actal 6A, you do not have Swishnev complex. So that means and you have actyl 6A is inhibiting Swishnev, so that does that mean PRC2 is active? So, and there is a clinical compound tazimetostat used in uh, rhabdoid and synovial sarcomas actually. So we thought we'll try using the EPZ as a probable actionable compound in head and neck with high actyl 6A. And more importantly, when we looked at the patients, uh, most of the patients uh, with high actyl 6A also have high EZH2 and there's a strong correlation. And when we looked at the patient PD, uh, PDXs or HNSCC frozen tumors, we see high levels of EZH2 like we saw actyl 6A. So the first thing I did was when you knock down actyl 6A, do, is there a change in trimethylation on histone? And we see that when you knock down actyl 6A, change in the known target of actyl 6A, WWC1, or a differentiation gene shown by Paul Kavari, S189. And at the same time, EZH2 is actually recruited at all the uh, or at least here I'm showing three different genes, WWC1 for the HIPPO pathway, or the differentiation gene, or the KLF master transcription regulator for differentiation. And EZH2 is recruited at almost all these target loci. So we went ahead and did a chip seek for after knocking down actyl 6A and looked for H3K27 trimethylation. Globally, you see a change in the K27 trimethylation when you knock down actyl 6A, but the effect was prominent more at the loci where actyl 6A is also bound. So that means when you lose actyl 6A, all the tons of K27 trimethylation islands, which we saw, were all gone. We, we, I'm not showing the profiles here, but we could actually term it as a co-repressor, uh, like the super enhancer which Rick Young uses. So we, so we know, know that there is a change in the EZH2 activity probably. I mean, I haven't known any other uh, complex which modifies H3K27 trimethylation, other EZH2. So we tried using the tosimeter stat, and 
when we uh, use the EZH2 inhibitor, we see a reactivation or increase in the WWC1 or GPRC5A, as well as the effect was stronger more on the differentiation genes than the hippopathway targets itself. And when we did the cell titer assay or proliferation assay, we see Huckett is an immortalized normal epithelial cell line. And when we compare with the tumor versus Huckett, you see a better sensitivity or more sensitivity to EZH2 inhibitor in the tumor cell lines. So this is the famous gadigram, which I think all of us have seen like tens of thousands of times. And this is, when you look at the mutation profile, head and neck is one of the tumors with the high mutation load. So when you have a high mutation load, you expect better response to immune checkpoint blockade. And Mike Lawrence, uh, who happens to be a friend as well, did the analysis uh, in the TCGA tumors, actl 6 a expression correlated strongly to the total number of mutations in head and neck tumors. And when we looked at the CD8 T cells are all the immune cells and correlation to uh, Swishnif complex subunits, we saw that actl 6 inversely correlates to the CD8 or CD4 T cell recruitment in the tumors. This is based on the TCGA data. We have to prove it in, the in a mouse model or in lab actually. And this was the RIAS paper, which showed that when you have high mutation load, you have more number of new antigens. So that means there would be better response to checkpoint blockade. So, but what really happens is actually 15 to 20% of these patients respond to immune checkpoint block uh, inhibitors in head and neck cancers. This is the Pittsburgh study from Rob Ferris. I know it's happy, it's a good news that you see 15 to 20%, but the way I see it was only 15 to 20% respond to immune checkpoint blockade. And I was trying to see if there's any link between the actl 6 a to the immune program. And what we saw was when you look at the GSA for actl 6 a knockdown, of the top 10 GSA plots we see, six of them are actually immune responsive genes, which I kind of, I'm not an immunobiologist, so I kind of ignored it for a long time, but then I thought it's really important at the end of the day. We see both the interferon responsive genes or the T-cell related uh, responsive genes, all are strongly inversely correlated to high actl 6 a And these are some of the genes uh, Robert Harad and others have put together to predict response to uh, checkpoint in head and neck cancer like CXL10, STAT12, and some of the genes were actually repressed by actl 6 a So you would expect High actl 6 a better response to checkpoint blockade, and actl 6 a is amplified in 25% of tumors. So that means you, a lot of patients would benefit, but in reality, no. None of the patients who responded to checkpoint probably are not high actl 6 a And when you take a closer look, most of the immune response genes are actually high when you knock down actl 6 a including TLR3 or HLA complex. So this is a model which we have is when you have high actl 6 a somehow mechanisms and inhibits the Swishnif complex, you add an EZH2 inhibitor, make the immunologically cold tumor into a, a hot tumor, uh, react with the immune program and add the checkpoint blockade. <laughs> right when I was doing that, this is uh, from Ravi Upaluri at Denna-Farber. He looked in an unbiased manner, uh, GSK-126 and uh, uh, GSK-126, which is an easy edge to inhibitor, and combined with either PD-1 or alone, he sees that uh, combined therapy, you see a redu reduction in the size of the tumors. This has to be characterized more actually. The cell line which he used has high levels of factor 6 a And when we looked at the use the EZH2 inhibitor, we also see a huge increase or reactivation of the toll-like receptor 3. TLR3 is uh, interesting because uh, 
not much has been studied in the oncoimmunotherapy, but it's, I think it's also amplified in some of the breast tumors. So this is a summarization of the entire talk. Actually, ACTL6A, which is amplified in tumors, inhibits Vishnev complex or SMARCOFOR to promote K27 trimethylation, and then in the process, react, uh, uh, inhibits differentiation and promotes immune evasion and regenerative proliferation. And last slide on HIPPO, actually. Uh, so all the mechanistic studies have shown that ACTL6A functions through a HIPPO pathway. So we wanted to see if there is any link between the HIPPO pathway to all the phenomena we have been looking at. So we have done a CMT screen with uh, uh, Ken Ross, who used to be with Sridhar Ramaswamy a long time ago. And then we were looking at ACTL6A and what could be the inhibitor for high actyl 6 amplified tumors and we never found EZH2 in those tumor uh, in that analysis actually and so we thought why don't i just look at the updated ccle data from uh, uh, sanger institute and when we looked at high yap tumors surprisingly actually it's not surprising actually so the otx is a brd4 inhibitor uh, cells with high YAP and low YAP have a differential response. The high YAP cells have a better sensitivity to BRD4 inhibitor compared to low YAP inhibitors. And when we looked at the YAP correlation to the immune cells in the tumors, the yellow is the amplified uh, or gain uh, tumors with YAP. You see a strong inverse correlation to the CD8 T cells or the dendritic cells when you have high YAP in these tumors. So. And we did the reverse analysis, just unbiased manner, take all the tumors, add BRD4 inhibitor, and see what kind of pathway gets enriched or which kind of tumor gets selected. So the number one pathway which came up uh, when we did the analysis for BRD4 inhibition, any tumor, was the HIPPO pathway or the YAP pathway, actually, which was very surprising because I thought I would see the MEC pathway based on the Bill Han and uh, uh, Tyler Jack stories, which came up many years ago. but. Uh, I mean, it's what we saw was complete YAP pathway, which no MAP kinase signature in those genes and traditional YAP pathway targets. And the second pathway, which we saw was EMT or interferon gamma responsive, which correlates strongly to the analysis which we looked at the patients. So right now we're actually trying to wrap up this story and see if we could uh, do additional uh, PDXs to see the correlation in the head and neck tumors. And the last and most important slide. I just started my lab at uh, Masa India, where, and I still get um, associated with MGH Cancer Center, and Leaf Ellison's lab was where we did most of the actual 6 work. And uh, Jay, who is also my collaborator plus mentor, helps with the YAP work, and the clinical team, even though I was just there for a year, I got a large number of tumors where I'm already doing all the epigenetic assays from the Masa India. And David Fisher and Brad have been mentors for melanoma or general epigenetics. And thank you all, and happy to take any questions. Okay, any questions? Very interesting. So has, has EZH2 in a, inhibitor, has an, an EZH2 inhibitor been tried in the squamous carcinomas? No. So the, know. the mouse study just came out like three days before I was submitting my R01 actually. So <laughs> I didn't know that I should be happy, stressed, anything. But uh, this is something uh, 
I'm trying to talk to Laurie and see if you could no, they, they, They've actually focused on lymphomas almost yes, exclusively. Yes. Too yes. bad. Be, and then and the reason was... Yeah. In that in that setting, I think they're. You're right. Not yeah. a squamous. Not a squamous. It's in sarcomas, I think, actually. Yeah, sarcoma. Gregory Cote in the sarcomas. sarcomas. But the interesting thing, it's actually interesting. You would use an EZH2 inhibitor when you see a mutation for Swishnev. You don't see a lot of mutations in uh, head and neck cancer, so you wouldn't think of using an EZH2 inhibitor. It's more of actyl 6 amplification kind of inhibits the Swishnev. So it's a reverse strategy. So, but still, end of the day, it works actually. The context is different, but EZH2 inhibitors will work at the end. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you.